0: Good morning, I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to this special summer worship celebration. Ready Vacation Bible School friends? One, two, three, welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Yay!
1: Our first lesson today is taken from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of his present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth round your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me, known with the boldness, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare in boldly as I must speak. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Our second reading is taken from the book of Joshua. Vicky gave you a little bit of insight to that passage. But uh, as we know, Joshua is the first book out of the first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books, the Torah or the Pentateuch, meaning the first five that we ascribe to Moses. And as Moses goes all the way through and gets his people to the Holy Land, um, God takes him up on the mountain and shows him says, that's where they're going to go, but you're not going to take them in good job, good and faithful servant, uh, your job is done, and I'm going to give that task to Joshua. And Joshua, Moses' kind of protege, then will take them uh, into the land of milk and honey, and it really is a book of military conquest. Uh, God brought them to the land of milk and honey, but there were people there who were not going to give up their land easily. So through all of this military conflict and these great battles, at the end of this book, We come to familiar words of Scripture that are on many front doormats, could be hanging little uh, framed sayings on the wall. Joshua 24, 1 through 2, and then we'll skip to 14 through 18. Listen again with fresh ears to the word of the Lord. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Now, therefore, revere the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord... Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. God protected us all along the way we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Youth of the Lord. Y'all OK? They're still all upright. you can't see them, but they are. They're still breathing all as well. So I may have shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it again. In New Orleans, Louisiana, where I have my dad's side of the family, is, if you go downtown. Jackson Square, right there on the, the river, river walk by the Mississippi, down by Cafe Dumont, right there. You get up, you start walking. Sometimes folks will approach you who would like to ask you for money. But instead of directly asking you for money, they will play a little game with you. I'm going to tell you to be ready the next time you go to the city of New Orleans. This is decades and decades. This wasn't one weekend or one time. Every time I've gone back... For some reason, it's, it's just a part of the culture there. So you're walking and you're saying, ah, oh, beautiful Mississippi River, yes, the river boats, and you hear it all, jazz coming, beautiful smells of food and jazz and French Quarter, that's not such a good smell. But you're walking and then someone might come up to you and say, hey, I bet I can tell you where you got your shoes. Pardon me? Hey, I, I bet I can tell you where you got your shoes. And you think, how in the world can this person, whom I have never met, know that I got my shoes at shoe station, Dillard's, Walmart, wherever you get your shoes. So there's no way this person could know that. And so you say, okay, where do I have my shoes? And they say, on your feet on your feet. That's where you got your shoes. They're on your feet. And then they say, please give me $5 because I beat you in this little riddle. Consistent scam for decades and decades. So now you're ready. Now when you go to the French Quarter, you can have your shoes ready, your mind prepared. Let's practice. Hey, Where you got your shoes? No, I'm sorry, I messed it up. I bet I can tell you where you got your shoes, and then immediately you say, on my feet. And they go, ah, you heard already. Or you could do that as well. So today we are talking about shoes. We are talking about belts, breastplates, helmets, swords, all kinds of fun clothes. Why are we doing that? Ephesians, that's why. The passage that Alice read to you in the book of Ephesians six ten through 20 is that armor of God passage. One of those passages that we know kind of like the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians and in other little bits of lists of things that Paul puts together for us as an understanding and a way to live our Christian life. So let's let's back up and take a look. Ephesians, where, what is it? It's a city, Ephesus. Anybody ever been to Ephesus? Yeah, beautiful. I I took a seminary trip there to Greece and Turkey uh, 20 plus years ago. Uh, They've reconstructed the library there and some other buildings to give you just a sense of what it would be like. Beautiful, beautiful spot. Paul probably wrote Ephesians, His letter to that church in Ephesus while he was in prison in Rome we think that was probably right he was writing for a couple of reasons number one the battle or some of the friction between Jews and newly converted Christians are still kind of playing out and Paul is trying to remind folks that we're we're all in this we're one family Jew and Gentile and so the book really is broken up into two pieces the first part Paul is laying out theological truths about Christ, Christ's resurrection, the theology that so undergirds our faith. And then part two, Paul wants us to use all that information to become mature Christians. That's the harder part. So in the first part, Again, Paul is telling us all, and that's the part we do better. Good Presbyterians, we focus on education, we ask questions, we seek, we search, we explore. That's where we're a little more comfortable, I believe. But then taking that and applying it, that whole second part, including this armor of God, is where we are challenged a little bit more. Because it's in the doing, it's in the applying, it's in the living the day-to-day. And that means being a Christian in the world. And as much as we know that that's our call, it's also still that much difficult. Youth of the Lord. You who... Do y'all, when you get to school, your first day of school, did you skip down the hall saying, I love Jesus, you should too? Anybody? Hands? No. no. One. Levi, well done. Well done. It's hard for us to go to the places where we live and work and figure out how to be people of faith. Christians have gotten such a bad reputation, so judgmental, so negative, so divisive that we don't want to be placed in that context and that old adage you never talk about politics and religion still remains. And Paul is trying to give us a little bit of support. Paul is trying to give us what we need to go out and to spread all of those great things that we know that so many in the world don't or have decided Christianity is this when we know that it's this, or shades of that. We are a people who want to spread God's love, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's presence with us, the Holy Spirit that fills us and guides us and never leaves us alone. That's all good stuff and people need to know that. But how to do that, it it is difficult. And it is trying. Sometimes people might come to you and say, "Hey, you, you go to church, you go to first press downtown. What, why do you do that? Why do you sleep in on a Sunday morning? Why do you get up, get dressed, and come sit with people when you could be out for coffee with the family, all those things that other people can do, just sleeping in. What do you say? How do you respond to that? That's a good invitation. That's a solid invitation because they came to you and asked. In other ways, we hope that they're able to see by the way we live our lives and then may ask as well, why are you going to take care of those people? Why do you care at all that this person in the office is having some trouble? Why do you care about them? Let's get, let's get our projects done, our reports written, so we can get out of here and go home. Why are you taking a meal to a family that is recovering from surgery or had something difficult happen to them? Why why do you do that? Why do you serve the homeless in the community? Why do we care about any of that? We're not related to them. And again, that's another question that's a good on-ramp. They see you, and that's what we want. They see you acting and they ask, what what motivates you to do all that? Give so much of your time to care for others. No, because that's what Jesus is and tells us to do and who to be. But we still got to continue to be more forthright. We've got to continue to go out and spread that word, why? Because if we don't, The powers of evil and darkness can win. Why? Because we are not putting forth God's far superior power of light and love. Love will beat evil and darkness every time. And that makes us feel a little weird because we're out there all alone, maybe. In an office, in a place, in a group of people. Maybe even our own family, the neighbors, at school, at work, wherever you are with people. We kind of see ourselves as being out there vulnerable. Paul says, no, no. I'm giving you, God has given you everything you need. So as we look at these clothes... The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that help you proclaim the gospel of peace, the shield of faith that quench the arrows of the evil one, helmet of salvation, and the sword of spirit and word. All of those things generally, except for the sword, are defensive, meaning This is most likely based on Roman soldiers who go into battle, and the job of that equipment is to keep them alive. It's really defensive. So then they can continue to make progress in their battles. The sword is that one piece that is offensive. Spirit and God's word. Word. And Paul is saying, God has given you all of these things. It is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that help you proclaim the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit and the Word of God. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, Spirit, Word of God. That's all good stuff. And if we see it in this imagery of God is clothing us and giving us what we need, then all of a sudden we're not just alone as we step out. We are not so vulnerable. Because the image is sound. God surrounds us with that we need to go and be faithful. And it doesn't mean it will always work. It doesn't mean that we are not still vulnerable in some ways. All armies are, no matter how great their equipment. But it means that you've been empowered. And just as soldiers go with others, so too do we go with us And all who proclaim Christ into the world as part of one group of those who are spreading the word of God. And that too should give you some courage, some confidence in moving forward. So Paul isn't saying pick up your arms and and go. This is spiritual warfare that Paul is talking about. He's not encouraging the Jews and Gentiles of those times to take up arms and try to overthrow the Romans. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying there's evil out there and we need to do our job. God has given us what we need to do so because we are at stake and others are at stake. And we need to do our part. Laz, What happens if everybody in your unit doesn't do their job? Falls apart, apart. thank you. If you're a part of a team, if we move it to sports, what happens if you don't do your job in your position? The rest of the team can break down. It affects your ability to compete and to play. And this good and evil thing, it's not a 50-50. God's power is more than sufficient. God's power is all empowering and is greater than any evil that's out there. But I do believe evil exists. And I do believe we are called to engage with these, this armor of God that God has given us. And we do it through love. We do it through the love of the resurrected Christ The love for our brothers and sisters all over the world, whether we know them or not, whatever they believe or not, God made them, which means we're still a part of one big Christian God loving family. And our job is to do our part to step out, not be timid, to have courage, and to have confidence. What gives us those things? This armor of God all of those things so number one it is our job to metaphorically and spiritually go into the world and fight evil with love empowered by all of these pieces of the armor of God number two There's a lot that keeps us from doing that. This worship of idols that Joshua was talking about, your ancestors, they didn't do such a great job over the river. We're in a new place, God has done new things, we need to recommit ourselves to God, the only one true object of our worship and not the rest of this earthly mess. That's what that Joshua passage really is about. Who are you gonna serve? Television, entertainment, sports? Lust, greed, desire, power, whatever. Money, stuff. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Easy words and great to say, harder to follow up. Because we are stubborn. Stubborn people. That's the donkey part of the donkey and salmon sermon title. Donkey, mule, they're known for their stubbornness. Come on, come on. Eey-haw. There's a commentator, Archie Smith, who talks about stubbornness as something that is more than just, oh, that, that crazy, every you know, hard-headed person, to the point where it becomes detrimental and destructive to the person and those around them and whatever they're trying to accomplish. Listen, a stubborn person will not listen to ideas that differ from his or her own. A stubborn posture rejects alternative out of hand and refuses regardless of the situation to change one's position. Stubbornness is not self or other discerning. It is not informed and it does not grow. It is enshrined in a closed circle of certainty and becomes fearful, boisterous, and one-dimensional. The stubborn heart and mind are impervious to reason and may constitute a way to hide insecurity. Any of that ring true with our stubbornness that can reach epic proportions? I'll try to tell you this quickly. I got a phone call a few weeks ago just out of the blue on my church phone, the one with a cord on it. That doesn't happen very often. It usually tells me it's not someone that I know. So she said, hey, it's a female voice. I am a student at Emory in Atlanta in the theology department, and I'm in a class, and I need some help. I'm like, okay, what what can I do for you? Well, she was in the midst of a class where she was inviting other people to think about some possible thoughts to the resurrection. Dun, dun, dun. Generally, we think about the atonement theory, God took on our sin because we could not do that and pay the price ourselves. God took that on on the cross and then was raised for all of us. That's pretty standard theology. But hers, she had some shading on that where she was talking about that's not really consistent considering that God had already done away with the structure of temple ritual sacrifice, of which the resurrection really does fit and dovetail into. The last sacrifice needed to be made on behalf of sin for others is what Christ did for us. So she was throwing out some other things, and some other people in the class were starting to feel threatened. And then one student says, well, I guess you think Jesus was black. Hmm. She is African-American. This person, they were on a Zoom call at that time. He was white. Why do you think he broke off the conversation, threw out incendiary comments in the middle of that conversation, which it was her question to me. And I said, I'm pretty sure I know why that was you threatened a belief of his that he is always known and is core to his understanding of God, Jesus, in the world. Had he ever really sat and thought through that? Did he come to his own conclusion or did someone tell them that's the way to be and so that's what he believes Is it in fact not foundational but fragile to the point that he is not able to entertain another thought or debate and in an academic setting where that's what you do, you think about different things? I think he felt insecure and I think he felt threatened and so he threw out something that he knew would shut down that part of the conversation and hijacked it with this other What is is a racist comment? And by the way, we know Jesus would not have been white. He was a Semitic person of that Middle Eastern part of the country, probably more in lines with with an Arab of darker skin, Arab kind of skin, but all beside the point. I think it illustrates this point, that stubbornness That says, I am unwilling to think about something that is close to me or dear to me. So I'm going to shut it down, or I'm going to blow it up, or I'm going to hijack it and make it something else. There's a quote attributed to Aristotle, which may or may not have been Aristotle. It's still a good quote. It says, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Ooh, that's nice, isn't it? the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. And we're doing a poor job of that as a nation on the national level. We get to that stubborn point where we know what we believe, everybody else is wrong. Instead of saying, I'm confident in what I believe, let's talk about this. Tell me why you believe or think a little bit differently. That could be theology, politics, culture, Family, what, what have you. Because you entertain other conversation, it doesn't mean that you are being disrespectful to your own belief system. It means you are courageous and confident enough being emboldened by the armor of God to say, let's talk about this. And it may not hold true. And you may say, no, that's what I thought. That's, thank you for sharing. I'm still where I am. You may wind up picking up a piece Or to, oh, that that could be helpful here. Or, you know what? I never thought about it that way. Let me think some more about that. Let me go check some facts that you brought up. And in that way, we continue to grow. And that is mature faith. Not shutting down anybody else in whatever area we're talking about. That is an immature faith where this degree of stubbornness can take us over. Okay. Okay. So to the salmon, why the salmon? I was looking at animals that signify faith and I had never seen the salmon as one of those. Why do you think that is? How would salmon speak to us as Christians in the world? What what do we know that they do? They swim upstream, right. They go against the current. It is hard for them. You've seen all of those great pictures of the bears all around and they're jumping up little waterfalls and just amazing feats of physics and skill. They do that generally for Pacific and Atlantic salmon. They generally do that once. They'll go out to the ocean. They can live in saltwater and freshwater, their bodies have systems to adapt to both. So while they spend most of their life in seawater, when it's time for them, when they become sexually mature and they're ready to spawn, they find the river many times at the place that they were born and somehow have some kind of tracking system to get them back there. They do their thing when they get to that point, and many times they die after that. But it's not every year with the same fish for the most part. So what enables them to swim upstream against the bears and the eagles and the fishermen who try to catch them. God gave them everything they needed from the start. That internal system of tracking to get them back to where they need to be. That instinct that keeps driving them forward the muscular structure of their tails and fins and body to be able to jump and move. And being a Christian can be very similar. We swim upstream, or we should. It's hard, it would be easier for them if they could just go downstream and do the same thing, but they can't, and nor can we. But we too have been given everything through this armor of God. So that we can continue to go against the direction of the world that continues to separate us, break us apart, keep us stubborn instead of faithful. So as we move forward, friends, know the last part of this scripture is last two verses. Prayer is mentioned four times. Not something casual that we do. It is at the core. And it's not just asking God for what we want it is a longing, as Gandhi says, a longing to be in God's presence. So, if you ever feel like you're vulnerable and you don't know how to go out or you're afraid you're on your own, you aren't. Look at this passage. You've been given everything you need through this symbolism of the armor of God. So, be faithful, be strong, have courage to swim upstream where you are being called. And we will change the world in Christ's name. Hallelujah. Amen.